Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in-the-weeds expertise from today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guests by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. At Content Allies, we turn you and your organization into industry thought leaders. We interview you and your leadership team, and then turn those interviews into articles, white papers, videos, podcasts, and social content. Learn more and say hello at contentallies.com. All right, everyone, welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast. Today, super excited to have Mark Bernstein of Balto on the show. And uh, Mark, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jake. Awesome. Well, uh, I'm super excited to have you here. And for anyone on the show who uh, doesn't know you or uh, what Balto is, can you kind of give us the quick background on uh, maybe like the quick 30-second overview of who are you and what is Balto? Sure. So I'll start with uh, what is Balto? Uh, Balto is an AI that makes sales and service people as effectively as effective on their calls as humanly possible. So what it does is it actually analyzes sales and service calls while they are happening. It'll analyze everything that the representative says that they say it, everything the customer says as the customer says it, and in real time, we'll put little recommendations on the side of that representative's computer screen uh, so they can be as effective on that call as possible, deliver awesome service. And if it's a, a sales opportunity or financial opportunity, get that call closed. And uh, my background is uh, I actually started the company with two other founders uh, just about four years ago. And I came from the B2B SaaS world as an account exec uh, where you know I felt that one of the best skills you can get if you're about to start a tech company is sales because you're either selling your product to get those initial customers, you're selling talent to say, no, this is the vision you should join, come join this company, or you're selling investors to be able to finance the company. So I started out in sales and that's actually where I noticed the problem, which is me, you know, I was going into my sales manager's office for coaching and the sales manager was the CEO at the time because it was a startup about 25, 30 people. And he would give me this great coaching advice and I'd leave his office so pumped up. Like, that was awesome. I can't wait to go have awesome calls. And then I would get on my phone calls and have that feeling that everyone in sales or services had where you hang up the phone and you're like, I totally blew that. I knew what I was <laughs> supposed to do. I was supposed to do this, this, and this, and I didn't. Why didn't I do it? And what I realized is that there's this gap between knowing what you should do and actually doing it in the moments you need to do it. How can we help bridge that gap? And that was the uh, inspiration for the technology we created at Balto. Yeah, I love that. And it was um, super cool. I watched, you know, the demo through everything on your site where, you know, you've got the rep there and an objection comes up and then it literally like, it, you know, your, your software is just hearing that text and kind of puts in recommended ways to overcome that objection. And it's, that's the, it's like the simple things that everyone knows and they're trained. But as you know, in sales, you get into the weeds of it and, you know, you just kind of panic or you can't remember that thing. And, you know, especially with someone who's doing sales calls all day long, like it just can kind of yeah. get fatigued there. So it kind of keeps it simpler for them. I like, I love what you guys have built there. Thank you. Yeah. And if you think about, you know, imagine you're a sales manager and you want to change your messaging right now. That's the most gr slow and grueling process you can imagine 
where you say, okay, folks, you get everyone in a room or you can't even get them in a room anymore because uh, you get them in a Zoom and you say, we're going to do this new message. We're going to kind of try this question in the beginning, this question in the middle. And then you just say it again and again and again over weeks and weeks and weeks until hopefully it sticks and gets used. And by the way, the only way you know if it's not used is you go and listen to the call recordings and you say, Jake, I was just listening to your recording, man. I didn't hear that question we practiced. And you go, oh yeah, shoot, I'm so sorry, I forgot. But what if those sales leaders and what if customer service leaders could make those changes instantly? What if every single day or every single week you have new messaging, a new idea, a new strategy, and you push, push a button and everyone starts using it. That's the power of iteration that Balto is giving uh, sales teams. And that's, I think, one of the most thing, the things that we're most excited about with the technology. It's incredible. You know, I love this. And it's so cool just to see the the many ways, you know, it's at first you see it and you're like, oh, that's interesting. But then, like you said, you start to think about how it impacts the organization, how it just impacts kind of oversight of the team and the ability to update messaging. And you see all these kind of additional value adds beyond just kind of the, Hey, like this is, you know, something that helps your reps. You suddenly like it, it, it is a way to run your company in a different way. Right. I think that that barbell is really important for B2B leaders. And by the barbell, I mean, there's almost like two different ways you have to sell it. One is the very specific detailed where when you show someone the technology, they go, I get it. And no matter what you're selling, if you're in B2B tech or B2B SaaS, the person needs to be able to see it and go, I get it. If you have to kind of walk them through five or 10 steps and say, well, this is how it works. And then it'll make you faster here, more efficient here. And then by the end of the 10 steps, you're saying, so do you like it? Then you're not getting that initial connection. You're not connecting with a problem that people um, immediately want to solve, but that's not enough. You can't just have the I get it moment. You also need to have, and here's the organizational impact. Here's why it's more important than this little specific problem you can solve one time that you see all day, but it's able to you know, have all these other changes that ripple throughout your organization. And I think that for B2B leaders, that's one of the most important things to do is because if you don't have that ripple effect or show that ripple effect, then it's very hard to get consensus with the other people in the organization who also need to sign off. So having that barbell strategy is one of the things that uh, we've worked really hard to implement at Balto and and I would recommend for any like B2B SaaS leader out there. Yeah, that's, that's such a powerful thing. Um, and it's just a, such an amazing insight there because you have so many companies where maybe they've got a really compelling hook and they're getting lots of appointment, lots of leads, but then the, there's they got a low conversion because they maybe struggle to then show how that's going to have that bigger impact on the backside. But what you're saying is, you know, you need the quick hook to get someone interested. But then you, once you get the hook, then you get them paint the bigger picture that like the, you can't lead with the big picture because that's going to be hard to grasp. It's going to take you 10 minutes to describe, but you catch that hook and then you get them in and you kind of pull, paint that picture of the bigger vision once you get them on that call or demo. Right. Right. And Jake, I don't know if you've noticed any of the dialogue, but a couple of years ago, I started seeing these posts on LinkedIn that were saying uh, the ROI calculator is dead. Have you seen anything like that? I've seen some of those around. Yeah. The ROI calculator is dead. And that may or may not be true. The idea is, you know, you shouldn't, uh, you know, walk your, your buyer through and say, well, you're going to make ROI here, here, and here, here. So here's how it all works out. What do you think? But the problem is I think a lot of people took away the ROI calculator, that presentation, and replaced it with nothing. So we have a great, a lot of B2B sales processes have a great first step where they have a great initial demo. And that's like, 
And then the people who really like it will eventually buy. And it's like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing for that second step to take that energy and that excitement and draw out an impact? And it might not be an ROI calculator, but it's probably some sort of joint ROI exercise, some sort of joint exercise where the other person is detailing to you, here's the basic financial levers in my business. And if you can move this lever up or this lever down, here's the impact that it has all throughout the business. I think that folks um, have perhaps uh, strayed a little too far away from quantifying impact because they're afraid of being salesy. And the problem is that's just left uh, buyers with no impact to quantify. And it makes it very difficult to sell the solution internally. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very interested here to dive also a bit more into your backstory as well, because it's clear from everything you're describing and how uh, the way you've designed the product, the way you've positioned the product, it is very much like an extremely well thought out sales strategy. And I can see a, like a lot of that seems to be coming from you here, but I'm curious, um, like, how did you go from this, you know, director of business development, account executive, to now like founder of a company with over 50 people on staff? Like, uh, what was this journey um, to, to kind of taking that jump? Yeah, so uh, the first thing I'll probably mention is that it wasn't intentional. And I, I think that that's actually a mindset that a lot of B2B leaders need to have is that like, yes, you want to put plans out there, very important. And you want to take steps that are proactive and thoughtful, but you also need to be open to opportunity. So, you know, I didn't as a director of business development, um, you know, pretty fresh out of college say, ah, I'm going to go start a B2B SaaS company in three years and here's my three-year plan. Nor when I was an account exec, did I say, uh, ah, I'm going to look for a problem. I'm going to find a problem that really hurts me and go try to solve it. It just so happens I stumbled upon this problem. And I actually, at the time, created an Excel macro where um, I could type in any topic into the macro and it'd pop up my, my coaching points. Because I was like, I keep forgetting my coaching. Maybe if I just had some quick reference guide, that would do it. And I didn't even come up with the idea for Balto. It was uh, our second founder, Chris, who saw me on this macro and said, uh, Mark, your creativity here is awesome, but the outcomes are not so awesome because you're not listening to the buyer as the conversation is going on. You are typing into this macro. Um, how can you have some sort of passive system that's doing that searching for you, that's doing the macro work for you, and just popping up your talking points so you can focus on the buyer, you can focus on the conversation and go, ah, that is the buyer telling me they're interested. Which of these great questions at my disposal is going to best advance this conversation? So he came up with the concept and I actually told Chris, uh, Chris Conta is the, the founder. I told him, uh, I really, I'm so happy at my, at my job here at Top Ops. I want to keep in sales. I, I don't really think I want to go do this. And I probably told him that three times and he kept coming back and saying, Mark, we got to do this. It's a really cool concept. Um, so I think that that's maybe an illustration of how a lot of the progress at Balto has gone, which is trying to be open-minded to the opportunity. Eventually, uh, you know, Chris and I put together a business plan and we started doing it. Um, but being open to the opportunity and being open to the feedback you were getting from the market and from your customers. And if you can do that, you're going to continue to direct your activities toward the areas where the world is telling you this is valuable. 
And uh, you can kind of look at that from a career lens. You know, what should you be doing in order to provide value? You can also look at it from a product lens. What can your product be doing to provide value to the world? And then you can look at it from a sales or customer success process lens. What can we be doing to help connect with our buyers and take the solution that we have and put it in a useful spot in their organization? All three of those lenses uh, are based on a foundation of listening and open-mindedness. Um, and then you can, of course, uh, put planning in there um, as you see fit. Yeah, I love that. And it's just really fascinating, I guess, hearing your journey and story where it's uh, not necessarily that you were like gung-ho, like I'm going to go do this, which I think a lot of, um, I think early stage entrepreneurs can often be at that point where they're just trying to push, they're trying to do something and they probably aren't in reality, maybe at the point where they're ready or in their career. But yeah. you just were trying to do great at your job and then something kind of just stumbled into your lap by kind of being around the right people and trying to do the best you could. Uh, yeah, I, I know a lot of folks who kind of came into it saying, I want to start a startup. And then they wrote down a hundred ideas. And the first is like, I want to reinvent the soap dispenser. And they're like, nope, don't want to reinvent the soap dispenser. Okay, I'm gonna, <laughs> I want to create a, a technology that's better, the spreadsheets 2.0. Nope, no, I, I already like the, the, the new versions that are out there. So they kind of come with a list because they just want to start a company. And I understand that and I respect that. I really do. I think that sometimes though, that closes people off to the problems that they're incurring day to day, that if they just kind of reflected and said, man, what really holds me back in my day or what really is just the thing that if I could fix it at my career would be better. My income would be better. My happiness would be better. And I think a lot of times if people kind of took some time and, and instead of looking for like solutions or looking for problems to solve, just kind of uh, looked at what problems do they have that are most painful? And that can usually be the best genesis for new ideas. I love that. And, and so as you kind of got those kicked off, you have, you're talking with your partner, you guys come up with this idea. Is this something where you guys kind of, you know, bootstrap a beta and go get a customer and then kind of test it? Or do you immediately go out with a kind of a plan and acquire funding and then build it? Like what was kind of the journey to like those early customers and then your kind of first round of funding? It, it was definitely closer to bootstrapping a beta. You know, we bootstrapped for the first 18 months, um, knowing that we wanted to take venture funding when we had the traction to create a really strong case for venture capital firms. Uh, because the last thing we wanted is to go out with nothing and spend our initial time and attention trying to raise money on a company that's completely unproven on two founders I mean, that time, three founders with our third, Davidson, that were completely unproven. Um, we didn't want to do that. We wanted to spend our initial time understanding the problem, understanding our customers, and solving the problem for our customers. So once we had gotten a handful of customers and gotten traction and revenue um, and had a product that was out there in the market producing real results, that's where we were able to go to VCs and say, look at what we've done on almost no money. Look at what we've done on, on you know, the savings of three founders who are all in their early 20s. And when you're able to produce that success out of nothing, that becomes part of your culture where people say, how far can I make this dollar go? Not like how uh, miserly can I be or, you know, how can I cut costs and stay efficient, which is, um, you know, a, a mindset that can be important. But how far can I make this dollar go? How resourceful can I be? 
And I think that that culture of bootstrapping for the first 18 months, you know, uh, of course, in, in one way led to slower growth because we didn't right out of the gate, you know, go get 100 customers. But I think it instilled an ethos in the company that says, we are a real business. We're not a business that raises a billion dollars and makes a million. We're a real business that um, achieves success by using our resources well and serving our customers. And I think that ethos will will absolutely produce dividends for the next decade. Yeah, so I, I love that. And that's it's, it's such a simple kind of concept these days, but in this kind of crazy tech world where there's so much of, yeah, raising... 10 million and then go make 1 million kind of thing. It's it's just to have a cash flow positive company from the start, be able to bootstrap that, demonstrate that is just such a, honestly, such a powerful and simple thing in these days. But it's really cool to see what you guys have done with that. Thank you so much. And it gives you leverage too, because you're not going to VCs with hat in hand saying, you know, we have nothing. Um, our company will die without you. But you're saying, hey, we think our best option is to raise money to accelerate growth. And we think you could be a really important component of that option. Much different story than we're going to be out of cash in a month. You know, what can you do? Yeah, I definitely get that. And so I'm curious, um, maybe for you and like your role with this as like the CEO and the, one of the founders, how is your role, like what has your role been? And how has that kind of developed over the years as you've grown as a team? And maybe how do you kind of spend your time? Yeah, um, so first of all, I'm constantly trying to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> never this, never, never the same. <laughs> I, I wish I could tell you I had the answer and say, aha, uh, a great startup CEO starts like this and then they transition here and then they become this. But I don't. And, and that's not for lack of uh, feedback either. You know, I hear a lot of perspectives. People say, you know, the CEO is responsible for keeping money in the bank, bringing top talent to the company, directing the strategic vision of the business. I'm like, yeah, that's great. But then does that mean you don't talk to your customers? <laughs> does that mean when there's a, uh, like a critical sale and you, know, you can be an impactful part to bring that sale in, you don't do it because it's not vision, uh, financing, or people? So uh, practically, like, you know, that's a good framework, but um, you end up doing a lot more. Um, and, and doing a lot more um, isn't always like the objective. I think a lot of people say, cool, I want to be a startup so I can wear a million hats and do a million things. And I think the, the constant tension that you should have is you're being pulled to do a million things, but you're trying your damn well hardest to not <laughs> because <laughs> you can't be good at a million things. So um, I, I think that if I were kind of to sum up you know, what uh, my path has been like, I kind of think about uh, the CEO function in, in three components, which I call uh, attract, convert, and deliver. Attract meaning go out and get resources from the world. And those resources can be fundraising resources like financing. It can be uh, leads and the leads are potential business opportunities. It could be uh, you know, leads for people, potential talent, but going out and getting things and bringing it back in the organization. Uh, the convert function is taking those resources and turning it into something useful, right? So that would be taking a lead and closing it, or you know, having uh, like taking the the dollars that you raise and properly using it and channeling it into you know into growth, and then deliver is fulfilling the promises that you made when you went out to the world to get those things. So if you went out to the world and you asked for fi financing, did you deliver on your promise? When you went out in the world and 
uh, you know, convinced a customer to, to join you, did you end up delivering results? So you can kind of break it into attract, convert, deliver. And you can think about a bunch of great historical tech CEOs that are known for being good at one, two, or all three of those functions. Um, and you think about Steve Jobs, who is the quintessential uh, you know, deliver CEO, obviously great at attract because he's so charismatic and is, is championing that vision. But Steve Jobs was known for having his hands on every detail of the initial versions of that application, making absolutely sure that the promise that Apple made was delivered on uh, by the company. And you could think of Elon Musk in a very similar way, which he almost is, is uh, deliver first. He's, he's almost about uh, you know, having this crazy, crazy vision for whatever the, the product, the, the vision is, um, and then making it happen. And then by virtue of his success, uh, just telling people about the great stuff they're doing, and that brings in all of this capital and all of this talent. Um, so the, what I'd kind of uh, leave you with is that you know, you're kind of jumping between different pieces of attract, convert, and deliver in the lifetime of CEO. And it needs to start with deliver. It needs to start with being a, a CEO that makes sure that your company's promises are kept. Because if you're attracting a lot of resources, but not properly delivering on it, then you're going to have a bunch of frustrated people. So I think it needs to start with deliver. So uh, it's, uh, my role in the beginning was very focused on the operations, very focused on getting that new sale, very focused on uh, building out that product feature on time. And then as you get more resources, you, you kind of work backwards and you say, am I converting these resources properly? Now that I have 10 leads or 20 leads, am I properly making sure that they get through the funnel? And then once you have those last two pieces done, you think you can fulfill your promise, you think you can uh, take resources and convert them to outcomes, then you say, let's go out and get as many resources as we possibly can. So I'm kind of more in the attract mode now which as a CEO means uh, doing podcasts, means uh, you know, raising a, a big round of financing, means uh, going out and talking to talent. So I, I guess I kind of approached it in, in reverse order, if you will, um, where I focused on delivery, then I focused on uh, conversion of resources at scale, then I focused on going out and getting as many resources for the organization as possible. And so I, I love that though. And, and I, I think that's the right way to go because I... I see companies do the opposite where they just, um, they're really focused on attracting, attracting, and then like you've just got this poor quality product or service on the back end. And like, and then you're just like, you're churning and burning. And it's like, they, I see some of them like they don't care because if they can just attract more, it's almost like some of these marketing focused CEOs that just push people through and it's to kind of a subpar product. And it's like, wow, if you guys put some attention on the product, like you could probably increase your retention and it almost makes their life harder in a way versus just having a great product and then going backwards, which I like the angle you took a lot more. Yeah. Thank you. I think that two, uh, there are two paradigms you hear a lot. People say, you know, a, um, revenue cures all and a fat pipeline cures all. And I don't think that's right. <laughs> like, I, I think that if you, uh, have revenue, that's, that's, a uh, gives you more resources to use and you know allows you to you know um, go out and kind of talk to your numbers but that revenue ain't going to be there in a year if your product isn't good um, so I think that you know revenue and pipeline is almost like a lubricant it helps um, 
you know, it, it helps channel resources to other parts of the business, but it, it ain't a cure-all. And I think that if you kind of start with that mindset, then uh, you end up building your company on a foundation that's pretty wobbly. Oh, that makes sense. And so I'm curious um, for the kind of the future of where you're going to take Volto and everything, you know, you guys, um, large growth trajectory, you've raised multiple rounds of capital. And I guess where, where do you see the future of this going or what's your vision for the company? I think that folks should ask, you know, where is data analysis headed most broadly? Where is data analysis headed? And um, in our specific industry, it started with something people called post-call analysis, which is analyzing uh, sales and service phone calls after the fact. And you have this big batch of calls and you look through them and you try to find trends and observations. Um, But then think about technology more broadly. Technology has this, um, this intractable force toward delivering the thing that people want immediately after the, the point in time that they want it. So if you have post-call, it used to be that it would analyze the calls and you'd have to wait four hours and you'd, you know, listen to the recordings four hours later. Then they made it one hour. Then they made it five or 10 minutes. Well, we see that trend continuing to go toward instantaneous which is why Balto's uh, focus, our bread and butter, what we care most deeply about is what we call real-time guidance, which is in the moment that you need that insight, in the moment you need that analysis, it being done for you instantly and giving you the information that you want instantly. So you can take that concept and say, where else can you apply it in an organization? We've done it for sales and service phone calls. Can you do it for... Uh, website um, optimization. Can you take that insight and deliver it to a marketing department and say, hey, did you know on your phone calls today, uh, there's a 20% uptick in this particular product being mentioned. Why don't you put a promotion on your website for that product? Because it seems pretty hot today. Can you deliver information in real time? And then kind of the, maybe the the kicker I'll leave you with is, okay, um, well, maybe even real time is too slow. Can you now proactively predict what is going to happen and say, hey, warning, warning, this customer is likely to voice these top three concerns, or this customer is likely to not buy, or this customer is is likely to buy. If you know that ahead of time and you can predict these things, then what sort of power does that give the representative and what sort of power does that give the organization? So you can think about uh, real time as a whole suite of capabilities of instantly delivering analytics in the moment that people across an organization need it. And we think that we can build a billion dollar company um, with this vision. Yes, I love that. It's there's just so many applications I see to that. And I love the kind of the the technology vision of, you know, going from post to current to to pre and everything and just see so many so many use cases of that. I remember it was even, you know, just like chatting with the uh, Stripe help support recently. And it's just like, you can just, you just see like so much room for optimization on these things and like the handoff of information or them to even know like, Hey, this is a frustrated customer right now. Like maybe we should handle that appropriately, like based off of past like messaging, but like it's, there's so many applications to that, what you guys are talking about. And so love the kind of big picture kind of vision that you have and how you're thinking about that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, as we kind of wrap up here for anyone else who's in the audience, who's out there wanting to 
you know, start their own venture or kind of accelerate their career, you know, what advice would you have for other B2B professionals who are out there who are um, just kind of working through their career? I would say practice listening. (laughs) And I think a bunch of folks kind of view it as an ingrained trait, like, oh, I'm a good listener. But I think listening is not a trait, it's a skill. And it's a, and there's a bunch of different things to listen to. You can listen to an individual in a conversation. You can listen to general buzz that you're hearing in the market. You can listen to your competition and what your competition is saying. Practice listening because there's an infinite amount of information out there in the world. And we only have access at any given time to this much. Can you almost like open up the aperture of your camera or, um, you know, amplify the microphone that you're using to listen and try to pull in more information from your customers, from the other folks in your company, from executives that you've talked to, where maybe you're just trying to close them, close them, close them. But, you know, can you actually understand their perspective and try to learn from them? Those are opportunities that in the B2B world, we have all day, every day. And I think a lot of folks, um, if they had that mindset and took a step back and focused on listening, would find that they're able to advance their careers and start uh, companies much faster and much more effectively. Yes, I love that. Absolutely uh, incredible advice. Um, well, Mark, thank you for taking the time to come on the show. And if anyone wants to find out more about you or Balto, where can they go online? Jake, thank you. It's going to be balto.ai, B-A-L-T-O.ai is our website. And um, I'm on LinkedIn at, I think it's linkedin.com slash in slash Balto CEO. So you can check me out there too. Awesome. Love it. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to come on here, Mark. You too, Jake. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find links and show notes from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.